Hello and welcome back to the Climb podcast. Stuart's currently off on a training camp climbing some mountains in South America. So this week's show is a pre-recorded chat we had just before he went all about what's next for him on his journey. Before we jump into that, I wanted to let you know that this is the end of season one of the Climb podcast. Our thanks go out to everyone who's listened and kindly shared the podcast. Thank you to all of our guests so far for giving up their time to support the Summit Foundation and sharing their stories and words with both Stuart, myself and all of you. I hope you've taken as much from their inspiring and thoughtful conversations as we have. I'm pleased to say that we won't be gone for long and we'll be back soon for a second season of the Climb podcast where guests will include Frank Lampard, Suzanne Shaw, Ronnie O'Sullivan, Sir Andrew Strauss and many more. So all that's left for me to say is don't forget to follow us on social media Links are in the podcast bio if you need them, where you can also keep up to date with the foundation and its progress and also with Stuart and his journey. Thank you for listening. So on the way to climb in Mount Everest, you're going to be doing lots of other little climbs. I say little climbs. They're not little climbs, but I suppose they are in comparison to Mount Everest. You've just climbed Kilimanjaro. Yeah, so when I started off on this journey, I got told, you know, one of the biggest things you have to deal with is um, is altitude. Um, so Kilimanjaro, is a, they say, is a good place to start because it's 5,800 metres. Um, but it's pretty safe. It's not overly icy, although it was minus 15 at the top when we summited. But um, So it's a good opportunity over eight days to, to learn to live with altitude and see if the training had paid off, which for, fortunately it had. Um, but an incredible place, an amazing place to go, and I'd recommend it to anyone because um, it's a safe way of doing it. Um, so, yeah, great experience. How many of you go? Is there a group of you that go up that mountain, or are you? is it just Yeah, so I, I joined a group with a company called Ian Taylor Trekking, who deserve a shout-out because they were top class. But there's 14 of us from all over the world. There was Americans there, um, Canadian doctor, uh, a couple of Spanish guys, lady from Luxembourg, um some more british people as well so that was good as well and you know just get chance to meet some like-minded people and you know you spend a week with each other you know i shared a tent with um colin who's a canadian doctor and you know during that you know week you spend a lot of time waking each other up going to the toilet with a zip at 2 a.m when it's freezing uh when you haven't got much air then you come back to your sleeping bag literally panting because you're out of breath because of the the lack of oxygen in the air up there so it's um yeah, it's fascinating. And how do you get all your... How, how do you... Because obviously you have to eat meals and stuff when you're climbing. How how does all that get lifted up? Do you do that yourself or... No. Is there um, a group that do that for you and meet you in pla- certain places with... Yeah, it's... To be fair, it's mind-blowing. The, the local sort of guides there, there's sort of th- a team of 30 for us 14 people. So they go ahead, they put the tents up, um, cook the food. I mean, it's one lady's birthday while we're up there. You know, they baked her a cake at like three and a half thousand meters, which is mental. Um, what was that? What was the cake like? Was it nice? Good. Vanilla. Yeah. Great. Bit too much singing of happy birthday. I was a bit, I'm a bit, bit annoying. miserable. Where it's like, all right, we're milking it now. Just, yeah. give, just cut it. I'm hungry. <laughs> um, but no, the food was unbelievable. I got to say, that was my biggest surprise because I expected it to be horrific. What sort of um, stuff were you talking? What other, what meals were you oh, well, I mean, so breakfast was the best meal of the day um, because it was pancakes with Nutella well, it wasn't quite official Nutella. It was like fake Nutella, but it tasted the same. Um, and that was the best meal of the day. And what, what was great, as we went higher up the mountain, and not great for what I'm going to say for the people, but 
most of the group was suffering quite badly with altitude sickness. And one of the things is to take away your want to eat. So about, about day five, I'm having six, seven pancakes because <laughs> no one else wanted them, um, which is brilliant. And then, but no, and then the other food is, you know, they cook rice and it's all sorts of vegetable meals and all that sort of stuff. It's unbelievable how tasty it was. Um, and how professional they are, you know, and like how much they care about their country. You know, they're, they're from Tanzania. The average salary in that country is um, $700 a year. And when you speak to them, they think they live in paradise. They think they think they live in the best place in the world. And it's it's um, it's sort of quite humbling, really, as well. And, and also, I learned a lot from the people who guide you up, you know, how to deal with, you know, people who are suffering, you know, because I'm, I'm quite impatient. So I'm sort of sat there going, let's, you know, let's get on with this. But like how they guided people through who at times were, you know, some of the, the scenes on um, Summit Night were horrific. You know, it was actually being sick and shitting at the same time. On the what side about of the everyone mountain. else? Was everyone else doing that as well? Yeah, they were just as well. But, yeah. um, but no, it was mental, mate. And, and some of them were like, literally looked like zombies because they yeah. were just gone. You know, and I know some of the people who on that Summit Night will not remember what happened. Right. Um, and it was terrible. i got to say, you know, you're sort of watching it and Ian... It was like the head guide said to me about three hours into the summit. He, we stopped and he goes, look at it. It's like a war zone. <laughs> and it was, there's just bodies everywhere. Right. And I was like, what is going on here? Um, so yeah, that was fascinating. I've got to say it's fascinating. How was your patience or lack of patience when everyone's moving at different speeds? And you're, I assume, one of the ones ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, we stayed together as a group. Um, and that was that was my biggest challenge was when we're sat in the tent in the afternoon and people are saying they've never felt so tired and I'm sat there going, I could go and run that twice and still be okay. That was hard because I'm thinking, stop moaning. That, that isn't hard. Um, so that was tough, but really good for me as well to get my head around it. And the other tough part was just sleeping in the tent. You know, there's one night yeah. I remember the wind was that bad. You literally woke up every five minutes because, you know, you drift into sleep and then you... Oh, fucking hell. Oh, great I'm awake again now um, and that was um, for me that was the hardest part was the sort of camp craft and, and that but I learned through the week you know so first night I made a schoolboy error I put all my stuff on the side where the tent is and it got soaked so like the next night I learned right put it in the middle put it between me and Colin um, you know I learned to drink a bit less later in the afternoon so I didn't have to get up five times in the night for a okay. week because it's getting out of your sleeping bag, out of a tent. You've got to remember it's pitch black. You know, you're tripping everywhere. It's not the easiest thing to do. So it's it's little things like that and learning next time to take like a bottle to piss in, you know, rather than getting out your sleeping bag. Because if you're in the Himalayas or something, it's minus whatever. It's, you know, even more uncomfortable um, to do that. So it's just like that stuff was my biggest challenge. It, physically, you know, I didn't find it tough at all even the summit night because we were going so slow um i you know i trained way more than i needed to i mean we did myself and a couple of friends did snowden one day but we did it three times in a day okay in 10 and a half hours which was like 25 miles and probably the most we did in a day was probably 10 11 miles and that was on summit night um, so you were over prepared for it really? yeah, over, yeah which was on purpose because I knew with ultimately what the ultimate goal is which is Everest I always said to myself well if I'm going to struggle with Kilimanjaro then it's a hell of a long road to Everest so I always made sure I trained as if 
you know, I needed it to feel comfortable, which is luckily what it did. Uh, but I learned loads along the way, which is great. And, you know, Ian Taylor, the sort of head guide, you know, he's climbed Everest. So to pick his brains on what to do next and, and different things was was brilliant. You know, it was a great sort of seven, eight days spent with people who know a lot more than I do about this. Um, and I was just like a sponge. I was just picking their brains, asking them nonstop questions. Probably annoying, actually, for them. Do you think there's a risk of overconfidence as a result of climbing Kilimanjaro quite easily? No, because I think it helped seeing how much other people suffered. Um, and I felt for them as well because you know, I was trying to help uh, well, all of them, but it, and it was tough. So I think seeing that, but also I know what's around the corner. You know, um, I've recently been training up in Scotland where it was horrific conditions. And I was then thinking, imagine doing that at altitude. Whew, that's going to be a different game. So I've got so many skills to learn. So I take confidence from what happened at Kilimanjaro because, you know, some people don't make it because they can't adapt to the altitude. But the confidence I gained from it was knowing that I train so much and I give up so many hours getting in to work at half four in the morning to spend time on the altitude machine on a Sunday, you know, traipsing with 20 kg on my back when really the most you'll take is eight to 10 and Kilimanjaro. So I know there was a reason why I found it comfortable. Um, it's not like I just turned up and found it comfortable and I'm like, oh, this is easy. I've nailed this. I knew, no, I've prepared massively for this and I'll do the next, well, I'll do it for everyone. Um, so I take confidence from it as opposed to, to overconfidence. Did you take a selfie at the top when you climbed it? No, um, but someone did take a picture of me at the top. Did you smile? Definitely not. Um, I don't smile, you know that. Um, what were your biggest learnings, would you say, from the Kilimanjaro climb? I think lots. I think one is get your preparation right. Get your clothing right is is huge. I've learned so much about clothing and don't be too hot. And then you start sweating. And then when you get cold, the sweat goes cold and, and then it, it's difficult. So my um, my gloves weren't good enough. Um, so on the summit night, my hands were cold. So I've learned, I bought some new ones immediately. Um, but the biggest thing I took away from it was um, you have to drink a lot. So I would drink a litre of water immediately when I woke up, but sip it over sort of an hour, hour and a half. Um, and all throughout the day, you know, I'd drink two litres in when we were walking. So if we walked twice, i.e. morning and afternoon, I'd drink another four litres and then another litre in the afternoon and the evening um, because you have to stay hydrated to stop yourself getting headaches and the altitude sickness and keep eating as well. And, and luckily, I had great support from a nutritionist called Tom Geeson Brown before I went, who set out, he, he saw exactly what I was doing. So set out each day what I needed to do in terms of calorie intake. So I would be, even when I wasn't hungry, because he told me to, I'd be eating these bars while walking along. Um, and just, and I think as well, listening to experts. And, and that's where I know I approached it well, because I know what I don't know. So I didn't turn up pretending I know how to sleep in a tent. I've never done it well, as a kid or whatever. But um, so if they said to me, drink, I drunk. I didn't go, oh, not first day. I was like, well, you're the expert. You're telling me to drink. I'm going to drink. Um, and I think that's, it was good for me that because I saw people who maybe didn't take the advice who then suffered maybe two days later. And it was like, oh, God, you know what? Because there's times I was eating these bars going, I'm not really hungry, I'm just eating this. But then when it comes to the last couple of nights when we went high and, you you know, the air was thin and 
morale was starting to drop because people slept less and people were starting to feel ill, I become my strongest. And, and I remember we were at four and a half thousand meters ready to do the summit. And they each day they check your SpO2 levels morning and night, which is how much um, blood cells is in your oxygen, which is an indication of how you're suffering or not with altitude. And uh, your normal level is 9,900 um, at sea level. And that morning or that afternoon, sorry, before the summit attempt, mine was 98. Right. Everyone else is in the low 80s. So again, it's like, because I'd done everything you could, but because I listened to experts. So I spoke to a nutritionist who's an expert in nutrition and he'd studied at university nutrition at high altitude. So, well, I've got to listen to him because I don't know what you do or don't eat on a mountain. You know, it's little advice. Like he said, he goes, if someone offers you a full fat Coke at any point over the week, just drink it. Whereas I don't know, you can't drink that. He goes, no, 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 because it's about just getting them calories in you. Because when you're working at uh, altitude where there's less um, oxygen in the air, everything you're doing is working harder. So even when you're thinking, your brain's having to work harder because it's starved of oxygen. So even sleeping, you're burning calories because you're literally, your body's having to work harder to get oxygen through it. Um, and that's why you have to keep topping yourself up. Even when you're sat in your ass in your tent, reading a book or something um you have to be making sure you're drinking and eating and and that was a huge learning because i saw the benefits of doing that which i got to be honest before i went i thought seems a bit far-fetched this this seems a bit much but i did it because i trusted the people and wanted to do it and um yeah i've i learned so much like that so you've just finished the winter skills training in scotland what what did that involve yeah so that was a that was a great few days um so that was basically arming you with the skills to deal with you know being in snow ice so we did everything from um like ice axe arrest they call it so basically if you're caught falling down a steep ice slope how you can save your life by using your ice axe um how to use uh crampons so you know they're the you know with the big spikes on them which yeah. you know stick in the ice and and again f incredibly fascinating because um, I've never used them before. So, like, you're literally walking almost vertically up these ice sort of cliffs. Not too high, things would be extreme, but because uh, we were practicing. But, and just, like, the grip in them and how you got to trust them and stuff was brilliant. You know, we learned um, how to read the weather, like, in terms of, you know, about isobars and, okay. you know, what could be a storm coming in, what different wind directions mean. Um, learning about avalanches, you know, where's avalanche risk, you know, how do you deal with that risk? How do you navigate around that risk? When you talk about learning to read the weather and stuff like that, is that in a classroom type environment or are you outside in the elements doing that? Both actually. So oh. they, um, so in the evening they would do like sort of lessons in, yeah, like a classroom, but it's like a, around a kitchen table in reality, um, showing us you know different sites to go on and just different things but then it was also the reality so on the friday night the weather was predicting winds of between 110 and 150 kilometers an hour so he says we'll go there tomorrow um so you can see what it feels like i'm like mm, i'll take your word for it mate um but anyway we went and it was horrendous but also brilliant because it was an unbelievable opportunity to test your clothing out in what can only be described as horrific conditions because there was gusts recorded that day because there's a weather center at the top where we were of 150 kilometers an hour wow um and there's times you're struggling to stand up i mean i fell over and, and smashed my knee on this massive rock 
it was yeah terrible and then um but sort of dealing with that and, and seeing how quickly the weather could come in and um but then testing the gear you know so i bought these new sort of goggles um because they tell you you have to have them and literally you could look into the snow in your face and you know they were that good and you know again that the there's a guy called Stuart who sort of led it and you know again his advice he goes no no you need to start off walking you need to be cold because you soon get hot and you're thinking bloody hell it's going to be minus 20 wind chill and you're telling me to start off cold right are you sure and there's like a, a good mate of mine uh, Darius Henderson was on there with me and you know me and him were typical just taking a piss going yeah we're, we're fucking cold mate you know like before we start but he was right you know like you, I remember we stood on the top and I remember we got down I said to Darius I said you know what I only had two layers on plus my gloves hat and all that sort of stuff I didn't feel cold I had my thick coat in my in my backpack and the guy was right Sir Ranulph Fiennes has a, a famous quote where he says there is no bad weather only inappropriate clothing and that was a uh, for me an unbelievable example of that um and i learned so much about that but i think the good thing as well when you're in that extreme you're at, you're with nature you can't talk because it's that windy and you've just got your own thoughts and you do find out about yourself because you're stuck there and you're like yeah this is this is all right this is cool and i um i loved it I loved it, but in that weather, you do find out about yourself, and you, you know, because you go to some places where, you know, there was one summit we did on the Sunday, and at the top, uh, my hands got a bit cold, and you are literally like starting to go fucking hell, like why am I doing this? Um, but then you quickly come round, you know, when you know we saw this amazing hare, you know, like a, like a big rabbit, and watching that running through the snow was incredible, you know, and then bang, you're, you're back in the game then and, and, and your head's back on it. So it was it was fascinating for that. I was thinking that this is all self-inflicted, what you're doing. So there must be times when you just think, why? Why am I here when I could be at home with a lovely little cup of tea? I actually find the hardest part is the training because going up and down a treadmill, well, not up and down, going on a treadmill at five in the morning on a Sunday it can be soul destroying. You're on your own. There's no one to talk to. No one's messaging you at that time. Um, and that's the moment of what's the point. But the rewards in my short experience so far, and I must add that it's an incredibly short experience, the rewards when you're on the mountain and you feel good and you can enjoy it and take it in is brilliant. So I remember every single thing from Kilimanjaro, every minute of every day, because I was in a good state other people won't be able to say that. And I think, you know, I can remember them incredible views coming down the top, um, which will live me forever. I can remember the monkeys, you know, on the first and second night above your head. And, you know, I'm like literally, I think I sent you a video, didn't I? Yeah. You know, stood under a monkey, you know, which if you love animals and that is brilliant. Do you know what I mean? You're like, you think back to being a kid going, if one day someone said to you, oh, you'll get to be within five foot of a monkey in real life, you probably think they're joking but uh yeah no so it's been brilliant so of course there's days you doubt but i think there's days you doubt everything in life isn't there? there's days you yeah doubt going to work there's days yeah. you doubt going to the gym there's days you think okay well, why am i watching this rubbish on telly and then it, you, you soon snap out of it i think it's human nature to um every day have a level of doubt i think i think so also i think i know that we'll get into this in other episodes as well but i know we, we've talked about this a lot before with all the all the books and life coaches that you read about and how they profess that 
if you do life exactly like they say, then you'll have a really successful and great life. And it just doesn't work like that because they have days when they have doubts or uh, that is normal life. Yeah, I believe as I get older, it's about recognising that that can be normal. And I think sometimes it's being comfortable with maybe not feeling great or feeling un- unmotivated or having a day where you don't quite do the gym programme you set out to do or you don't perform to the level at work. But there's the ability to snap out of it quickly and not have two, three, four, five, yeah. six consecutive days and then suddenly it becomes a habit. Well, that's probably a poignant place for us to end. Don't forget to follow us on social media at the summit underscore foundation where you'll get updates on the foundation's progress plus we'll be posting more about the upcoming guests for season two of the climb podcast thanks for listening and we'll see you soon